This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send it that way. If you are driving in your car, please remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. All you have to do is hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. A lot going on, so uh, bear with me for a moment. We've got uh, uh, our Wednesday Bible study tonight. Uh, I'm going to be actually teaching the very longest prayer in the Bible. Hope I can finish it in one study, but it is Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, and it is absolutely fascinating. And, and if you've got a vivid imagination, can imagine yourself being there, it's even more fascinating. So that's tonight. Uh, if you cannot get here, we've always got plenty of room on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can watch it at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Uh, and then Paul, of course, will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. And we would love to have your calls and questions or comments about anything that's going on. So let's get to questions while we see what's going on with the phones today. This one is from Jason from our mobile app. He says, should baptism by immersion be a church membership requirement? Jason, no. The only requirement to be a church member should be, are you a born-again Christian? Are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Uh, all the other stuff. I, I, You know, frankly, I'm not the best person to ask about this because I, I get confused by all the emphasis on rules and you got to do this and you got to do that. Um, um, to be a church member, I, I just don't get it. We, uh, uh, we actually consider anybody that's been here more than twice uh, a member of our church. We just sort of claim them, uh, but we don't put any kind of a burden on them at all. Um, these are, are, are matters of faith. These are matters of conscience, and they need to do as the Lord leads. So um, we, we certainly want all of our people to be baptized. But if they're not, they're not being disobedient to me or the church. They're being disobedient to God. And he's pretty good at 
taking care of his people. So uh, while I believe that baptism should be by immersion, even that there are differences uh, of opinion in, and I don't think it really matters to the Lord. God wants to know that your heart is baptized, that you're his heart and soul, completely committed and submitted to him. We baptize by immersion here, Jason, uh, but we would never make that a requirement for church membership. And as I said a moment ago, uh, we go one step farther. We don't even have a church membership um, uh, list or anything like that. Um, you walk into our church, Jason, and what you would see is people who love Jesus with all their heart. They love one another. And uh, it just doesn't seem to be important what membership or what requirements for membership are. But in this particular case, um, baptism by immersion should not be a requirement for church membership. Now, before anybody freaks out and says, Pastor Ron doesn't believe that you need to be baptized, I am a big baptism person. Yes, we should be baptized. Yes, we should be baptized, and preferably by immersion. But but this whole issue of membership is so contrary to what the Bible suggests. We are members of his body. I can't own somebody. I can't constrain somebody. Um, Jesus knows those who are his. Hope that helps. Here's a question from Tina. Uh, Pastor Ron, Mark chapter 9, verses 39 and 40. How do you understand that verse when it comes to false teachers who perform miracles? Let me read the verse, Tina, and then I'll talk about it. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples. Uh, John said, uh, Rabbi, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus, here's the verses you talked about. Do not stop him. Jesus said, no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Now, I love that Jesus said this because Jesus is not uh, being territorial. You know, we, we Christians, we sometimes we're like dogs. We want to mark our own territory. Um, and, and this is just John and the others. Uh, we made him stop because he wasn't one of the ones that you chose. And Jesus is saying, no, this, he's part of me. And if he's driving out a demon, that would certainly qualify as a miracle. Uh, if, he's, if he's driving out demons, uh, then he is actually forcefully advancing the kingdom of God. And um, uh, Jesus said, don't stop him because he's not against us. That means he's for us. Now, you asked the question specifically about um, that verse when it comes to false teachers who perform miracles. Tina... False teachers out there are not performing miracles. The miracles that you see on so-called Christian television, these faith and prosperity types that are always claiming to do miracles and knocking people over and that kind of nonsense, those are not miracles at all. It is so frustrating. I think most of the Church of Jesus Christ, at least here in the West, we wouldn't know a real miracle if it bit us in the nose. Um, it's not a miracle to make people fall down and shake. It's not a miracle uh, to have somebody throw away their crutches and walk away with a burst of adrenaline. Uh, so, so false teachers, by definition, are already against Jesus. If they're proclaiming a gospel that isn't really true, if it isn't consistent with what our Bibles tell us, Tina, they're already against Jesus. The fact that, that they claim to be a follower of Jesus simply marks them out 
as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Satan himself, Paul says, masquerades as an angel of light. But that doesn't make him an angel of light at all. He is the angel of darkness. And so what you've got to understand is that when people are false teachers and they're doing all of these charismatic nonsense, Tina, they're already standing against God and certainly have no connection to his word. So that's how I understand that verse. But, you know, just because somebody who's a real believer doesn't do things the way you do, they're certainly not against Jesus. And Jesus defines them, even if they don't do things the way you do them, but they're they're doing it for me and they're doing it for my glory. Then they're with us. And I think we need to remember that in the church of Jesus Christ. Remember, Tina, not everybody who says Jesus knows who he is. Um, false teachers, by definition, are not with Jesus. They're against him. And again, they're not doing real miracles. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Reggie says, Pastor, on the third commandment, says clearly to honor the Sabbath forever. How can you teach that it's okay to worship on Sunday? Because, Reggie, we also have a New Testament. In the first century church, the church that was given birth by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, they celebrated their day of worship on the first day of the week rather than the seventh. And remember, the church was entirely Jewish then, but they did it to celebrate the most important day on the Christian calendar, and that's Resurrection Sunday. So it was like the law is done. Now, that's just one answer here, Reggie. Listen to this one, because I want you to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. If you go to Exodus, and you read the Third Commandment, go up above, and and, and who is the Lord speaking to? Speaking to Moses, Moses speaking for the Lord to the people. He's saying to the Israelites. We're not the Israelites. And when he's saying third commandment says clearly to honor the Sabbath forever. He's talking to Jews. But remember, that's part of the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant, Jesus himself replaced with the New Covenant. This is the cup of the New Covenant, he said, written in my blood. He said that in what we call the Last Supper. And Paul writes that when he brought a New Covenant, he canceled the Old one. And now Jew and Gentile, according to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it's one of the mysteries that was revealed to him. Jew and Gentile become one in Christ in the person or in the personality of the church. So remember, the Sabbath was for Jews, not for Christians. And it was Jews who changed it to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So that's how we can teach it's okay to worship on Sunday. Let me go one step further, Reggie. Um, Paul says that to, to Christians, all days are to be esteemed the same. We who have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, every day is a day to honor the Lord. Every day is a day to worship the Lord. So we're not to get caught up in these ideas. Now, Reggie, if you want to worship on Saturday, God bless you. God bless you. Probably the church you're going to is legalistic and um, uh, probably don't see a whole lot of movement of the Spirit of God there. 
But if that's what you want to do, and in conscience, that's what makes you feel close to the Lord, do it. But you can't dare condemn or criticize those of us who choose to believe all of the Bible and not just the fourth commandment, or third commandment, rather. And by the way, um, of the other Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. So I'm not throwing away the, the, the value of the Ten Commandments. But the only one that isn't repeated is the one about Sabbath worship. So that's how I can teach it's okay to worship on Sunday, and I teach it because it is okay to worship on Sunday. Reggie, hope that helps a little bit. Open your eyes and heart. Brian says, I have a friend who says his pastor is rich because God blessed him and wants all Christians to be wealthy. Is that true? No, Brian, and you know it's not true. Um, um, a rich pastor, I had questions about this yesterday. Uh, a rich pastor, I think, is is offensive to God. Now, if a pastor made a lot of money uh, before he got saved or before he got into to ministry, that's great. That's great. I used to have a lot of money, and I blew it all with sin and, and messing up. But, but um, you know, I wish I had a lot of that money still, but I don't. But uh, so so if, if he's made his money and he's done it honestly and he's done it uh, in a way that glorifies God, bless his heart. But here's the real problem. Too many pastors are getting rich by fleecing the flock of God instead of ministering to them. Instead of being a shepherd, they're fleecing them and they're being taken advantage of. So God doesn't bless us with money. Some people he does, but pastors, typically that's not the case. And money and the love of money, which the church that your friend goes to, um, is really in love with money. And Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we've got to be really, really careful. But no, um, this idea that God's blessed him and wants him to have all the best stuff. I like nice stuff. But I certainly couldn't depend on the Church of Jesus Christ to pay for it. So, uh, no, and you know that's that's not good, solid doctrine. Thanks, Brian. Here is a question from Daryl. Funny question. Have you heard of the movement in churches trying to re-elect Trump in 2024? How should we think about churches that involved in politics? Daryl, I think what we should do is avoid them. Um, I can't imagine. No, I've not heard of this movement. It doesn't surprise me, and that's sad. But no, I haven't heard of this movement. Um, uh, churches, Christians largely are conservative um, but but to, to be involved in the house of God I think Jesus would do some table turning over if he was to visit um, those churches um, you know the only one that we should be interested in ruling and reigning is Jesus Christ King Jesus is coming and uh, a, a church that is focused on getting Trump reelected in 2024 is a church that's lost its way. I can't be any more clear than that. Um, um, the, the churches that are this deeply involved have simply lost their way. You know, I said something, Daryl, that uh, shook some people up um, uh, a few months ago here at the church. 
I just said that, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of Christians, and, and this is a real source of concern for me. There's a whole bunch of Christians that are more interested in getting Trump back into power than they are in Jesus coming in power to sit on the throne of David. That's really a distortion. And if you are uh, involved in one of those churches, Daryl, or know people that are, they, they need to get out of those churches and find a church that understands that this is not our kingdom. Earth is not our home. It's just a place that we're traveling through. And our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is not to spread partisan politics. You know, it's interesting, um, Daryl, when um, uh, a pastor goes political, he is immediately distancing himself from half of the people in his church. I mean, everybody saw how the, the vote was split in 2020. Um, we, we've still got these huge divisions um, uh, in, in political thought uh, among Christians. Why would you want, rather than have a message that Jesus designed for everybody, why would you want a message that immediately alienates half of the people in your church? That is to miss the point altogether. So, no, I've not heard of the movement. I hope I don't hear about it anymore. So, Daryl, thank you. I hope that helps. Let's go to Ruben, our friend from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Like always, I pray that you are blessed today. And like always, I know you're going to tell me you are. <laughs> thank you, Ruben. I am. <laughs> Pastor, I just have a quick question. Um, I know that I am not in sin. Not that I'm perfect. Don't get me wrong. Not that I'm perfect. Um... But as I was reading in the book of Acts again yesterday, you know, God just, man, I had a field day with that, that scripture I was telling you about. And then today, as I was reading, man, I, um, I was in a lot of pain, like a lot, a lot of pain, like excruciating pain. And, and I, I said, this is what I said to the Lord as I was praying. I said, Lord, I thank you, Father God, because I know that you're with me, Lord. I know that uh, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here at this time. That's exactly what I said. Then a thought popped up in my mind and said, you're right. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be in this predicament. And right away, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> I, I sure do. I can, I, can, I can hear the hiss of the snake right now. Yeah, you see, and, and then, but then it bothered me. Afterwards, it bothered me, and... And that was the enemy, right? That that yep. that that popped us. I didn't mean mean it like, well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in this predicament. No, that's not what I meant. The Lord, I said, Lord, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. What I meant was, I wouldn't have this peace. I wouldn't have this joy, even with the pain that I'm in. So, yeah. And and Satan yeah. knew you meant that too, Reuben. You know, one of the things we have to always remember that Satan is a liar. Jesus said. Uh, that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. And when when we know that that's the case, anything and everything that comes from an outside source, we can't feel guilty about, we can't do any condemnation because of, 
Uh, we just identify the source of the lie, and that's Satan. What you meant, of course, was, uh, and you know, we've known each other now for quite a while. We've never met face to face, but, but, but you you nearly died a whole bunch of times, and at times there were there people thought you were going to die. You thought you were going to die. And what you were saying is, Lord, you sustain me, and I know you're going to sustain me again. And he's going to twist that and and then blame your condition on the Lord. And um, uh, all you have to do is just remember always, and sometimes especially when you're in pain, uh, whether it's physical or emotional pain, sometimes it's hard to remember that. But remember from the beginning, Satan has been trying to cast down on the goodness of God. He did that with Jesus in the wilderness temptation. Um, um, if you are the son of God, he said Jesus knew who he was. But he immediately tried to cast doubt, trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. Don't go through the cross. Let me just give you all these things now. Or you can go out and make those stones turn into, into bread and you can fill your stomach. And, uh, and and if God was good, that's what he'd want you to do. Well, he's been doing that from the very beginning. And Reuben, in your case, um, from your background, you've got to add one other element to the spiritual warfare. You know that Satan has been lying to you for so long, and the lies are going to get more uh, intense simply because he's angry. He thought he had you. He was like Job. Job will curse you. Uh, he's tried to get you to curse God so many times and that you're standing in victory after all this time and after all the physical pain that you've been through. Believe me, nothing infuriates the devil more than that. And so he is going to continue to try to mess with you and change your perspective. But you know the truth. Uh, he's promised he would never leave you or forsake you. He's proven that in your life. And Reuben, in the couple of years that we've been talking, I mean, it's probably been longer than that, um, in the time that we've been talking, um, you have grown so much in your faith, so much in the knowledge of God. And the Reuben that I first met, who hardly ever opened a Bible, um, now you love the Word of God, now you love Jesus, and the devil's going to be angry. Reuben, thank you. Appreciate the call, and we are always praying for you. Our audience likes when you call in. We're inside four minutes here for this half. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Tom. Uh, I read where the creator of the Chosen series has embraced Mormonism. Should we still watch the series? Um, Tom, yeah, the series I think is fine. Um, and and I don't. Um, when you say he's embraced Mormonism, I don't know what you've read. Uh, I have read um, uh, a direct quote uh, from um, uh, Mr. Jenkins, and he uh, he has said wrongly, but he said it sincerely, that uh, he's met many, many Mormons. There's all kinds of, of fruit coming from Mormons, and they serve the same God, and the differences really then shouldn't matter very much. Now, he is horribly, horribly wrong about that. But I want you to understand something, Tom, and, and you're going to see this in any ministry that solicits funds, and especially from the larger body of Christ. Um, they, they go where the money is. Mr. Jenkins has gone where the money is, and he, he'll take money from anybody. That doesn't make the content of the chosen bad. 
Uh, I have a friend, a casual, very, very casual friend, who's a huge evangelist, and and um, he's done a lot of fundraising uh, outside our tradition, and um, and has embraced things that we wouldn't embrace, and he's done it because um, it takes money to keep his ministry going. Now, I, I don't like that. I don't think the motives are right, and I think uh, the rewards. Uh, will be lost. I think a lot of rewards will be lost when they stand before Jesus. But uh, I think Mr. Jenkins, who is the creator of the Chosen series, is simply saying, um, I want to keep the door open uh, to um, fundraise from from all people who name the name of Christ. So he would be active in fundraising with Catholics. He would be active in fundraising with Mormons. He'd be active... Uh, if they had money, fundraising with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, it just wherever the money comes from, that's okay. Now, I don't think he should refuse money from anybody. Uh, the message that he's communicating is a good one, um, but but I don't think he ought to justify taking money from non-Christians by pretending that that uh, they 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 serve or or believe in the same Jesus that Christians do, because that's simply not true about Mormonism, not at all. So, Tom, I hope that answers your question. Again, we we have discernment. Um, Watch the Chosen series. Uh, I've seen the first two seasons. Uh, I think that's all that's out right now, but uh, I have enjoyed them. Uh, There are some problems with it, uh, but I think any dramatic interpretation of the story in the life of Jesus. I have problems with the greatest story ever told. So uh, I, I just think we got to understand that. The message is a good one. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program my producer just cracked me up so i'm giggling and behind the scenes here uh this is the word to stand on for life 340-9585 here is a question from our mobile app from hugh and terry I miss you guys. Um, it says, a pastor we like had Eric Metaxas as a guest speaker promoting his new book, Is Atheism Dead? We like Eric, so we bought it. In the book, he stated that 66 million years ago, an asteroid hit the Earth and went on to say that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. Additionally, he doesn't believe that the moon was created by God as per Genesis 1.16. Pastor Ron, have you heard of this new book and would you continue reading it? Thanks and love always, you and Terry. I miss you guys. I know I said that, but I miss you extra. Um, I, I don't know if, if I should say this. Eric, his show actually comes on before this one. Uh, and Eric is a, a talk show host. He's not a theologian. I think he fancies himself one. Um, but um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian, but he's just a badly misinformed Christian. 
anybody that 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 took the time to write. Now, this is this is problematic because Eric has written some other stuff that Christians have grabbed hold of. I'll speak about that in a moment. Um, but but anybody who says that the Earth is 66 million years ago, or 4.5 billion years older, or that 65 million years ago an asteroid hit the Earth, um, uh, has no credibility. They're not a student of the Bible. Um, he has information. I've heard him talk about his faith before. Again, I'm pretty sure he's he's a, a believer. Uh, but he is not honest in his scholarship. And I wouldn't read anything that he wrote, Hugh and Terry, um, just because it contradicts what the Word says. Additionally, the background that he comes from, the religious tradition he comes from, have all kinds of, of doctrinal issues and problems. Um, the, the one thing that uh, I think he's best known for uh, is his book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, I, I'm a big Bonhoeffer fan, and, and um, um, in the little bit of research, I have not read Eric's book. I wanted Eric's book on Bonhoeffer, but um, uh, I, I know people that have, and they say the scholarship is really sketchy. So I just, I, I, he's, he seems like a nice guy. Uh, he is, once again, now really involved in the, let's get politics in the church and let's wake the church up again. Um, and he seems to be going farther and farther to the right uh, politically. Uh, he just shouldn't be mixing this, uh, you know. Stay in, stay in your lane, uh, Eric. But, but uh, I, I just there's no credibility at all, Hugh and Terry, to somebody who would say that. He's he, he'll talk about the Bible, and I've heard him talk about it. But when he denies Genesis one sixteen, doesn't believe that the moon was created by God, um, then then. Um, his his credibility in in speaking about the Bible is completely lost. So um, he's popular. Uh, he's a conservative talk show host. Uh, I think that's all he is, and I would not read his book just just because there's no value in it. Here's a question from Evan: um, What should I do about giving? If my church waters down the teaching of the word, Evan, I don't know what giving has to do with this, but if your church waters down the teaching of the word, I would get a new church. I certainly wouldn't be giving them any money and supporting uh, a ministry that that is um, watering down the, the word. So um, find another ministry to give to. Find another church that you can serve and, and, and commit to uh, and give to. Uh, churches need uh, for the the people that call them their church to give, but but you don't want to support a ministry that waters down the teaching of the word. Uh, that's uh, you know we're in the middle of what I I believe with all of my heart is the great apostasy or the great falling away. We're watching so-called Christian leaders and Christian churches um, distancing themselves from the word of God. I was just reading an article about, um, now, I don't know anything about this group, so I'm not at all uh, an expert, but there is a Christian metal band called Skillet, and I don't know anything about them, but um, this guy is getting skewered uh, by by people because he's just come out really strongly with people that follow him about deconstruction of the faith, and, and, and he was exactly right. 
But what deconstruction of the faith is, is people trying to find a source of comfort with their religion, with their, with their, their stated faith, without stopping sinning. And a church, Evan, that waters down the Bible uh, is doing the same thing. Uh, it's a church that's saying, well, I'm not going to talk to you about sin because I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to talk to you about having to repent because nobody likes that. And then just talk to you about God who loves you and he takes you just the way you are. And um, um, and we know, Evan, that that's not honoring to our Lord. He paid everything to win us. We've got to give him everything. Jesus said, if you want to lose your life, then find it. If you want to find it, then you got to lose it. And um, the, the church that waters down the word of God simply wouldn't be able to communicate that heart of God in situations like this. Holly says, Pastor Ron, when I'm invited to family gatherings, I know people are going to smoke marijuana. Should I still go to be light or stay away? Holly, you shouldn't go anywhere where the people are gathered together and they're smoking marijuana. You shouldn't go anywhere. Um, This is where you get a chance to take a stand for Jesus Christ and show your family members how much you love him. And the way you do it is very simple. Look, I love you. You're my family. But I'm simply not going to go to a place where you guys are going to smoke pot uh, because I can't bring Jesus. And if I can't bring Jesus, I don't want to go. They already know you're a Christian. So be light, but be a light by standing for and with Jesus and be a light by staying away. But these are places where you got to draw the line. Now, Holly, I would say the same thing if your question was about alcohol, people drinking uh, and, and, and getting maybe too high. Uh, I'd say the same thing. Um, remember, when we go, we take Jesus with us. And if you can't be comfortable, if Jesus can't be comfortable where you are, then you shouldn't be comfortable either. So just let your family know. Thanks for the invite. I'm praying for you. Jesus loves you. But I'm not going to be there as long as you guys are going to be acting that way. And they will learn that your Jesus means something to you. Now, they may isolate against you. They may may even unite in opposition to you. You may find that people that you love uh, don't want you around anymore. All that's fine. Jesus will be thrilled for you and because of you when you stand for him. Good question. I you know all the we've had lots of questions about drugs and stuff, but I've never had that one. Here is a question from Joseph. He says, Our church is struggling trying to get back together after the pandemic. We were closed for almost two years and there seems to be a shortage of servants and most people are still staying home. Can I have your thoughts please? Um, a couple of things, Joseph. I, I, I'm sorry that your church closed down. Uh, I, 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 I simply cannot understand why a pastor, a shepherd of God's flock, would abdicate uh, the responsibility that God gave him. And, you know, you can talk all you want about online church and all those other things. People are really and truly hurting, Joseph. People are really and truly hurting without being in fellowship. Fellowship matters. It matters uh, so much that God said, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints as many in, are in the habit of doing. And and so we have to understand that this is a solemn responsibility that we've got. And when I opened my doors here, Joseph, 
I don't care if there's 10 people there or if there were 10,000. I don't care. Uh, I, I'm going to give whoever's there the best I've got. And I know the people who come here to Calvary Chapel are going to do the same thing. If you came to our church, Joseph, you wouldn't even recognize that there, there ever was a pandemic. Um, there, there would be some people, a few people wearing masks. But, but people just decided, you know what, this isn't good for me to be home. I'm going to come back. And, and not only uh, you lose servants, and, and if, you, if people aren't serving, um, they're missing out too. They're outside of God's will. Um, habits don't take long to create. And people stayed home. You say they're still staying, staying home. Now, let me say this also, Joseph. A lot of those people probably found a new church. The people that really love Jesus found a new church. And I'll say that and just from my heart. Um, a lot of those people are coming to churches like ours. We have new people every Sunday in numbers that you just wouldn't imagine. Um, we're probably getting 30 to 40 new people every Sunday. And we get so many people who are not able to go to their old churches anymore and they've discovered the teaching of the Word of God and they're really excited. They didn't know that this kind of teaching existed. And they actually love coming to church now. It's not, it's not okay, it's church day. I mean, they're anticipating this is church day. And because they, they're, they're excited, they're getting involved, they're serving, and God is doing a really, really neat thing. So uh, I don't know where your church is, uh, Joseph, but a lot of those people, they, they simply they understand it's not good to be out of fellowship. And so they now go to another church. This is one of the things that you really need to pray for your pastor and the church leaders. You really need to pray for them. It is just unthinkable to me that pastors are still in that position. Um, I just don't don't get it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. William says, um, "My question is about Revelation two six. Jesus mentions the Nicolaitans. Who are they?" Um, the, the Nicolaitans, it's, it's a combination of two Greek words, Nico meaning above, and laity or laitans um, describing uh, people. And this is what Jesus hates in Revelation, uh, is, is any sort of doctrine that separates him from, from all people with layers of ministers. So uh, it would be like the Catholic Church. Um, um, a priest has to tell you what the Word says. Uh, you can come to a priest, but you can't go to God. He goes to God for you. You have to confess to a priest uh, rather than confessing to God. Uh, that's Nicolaitanism. And it was, it's always been around. It didn't take long um, in the first century before this sort of hierarchy developed. Um, um, it's also mentioned in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 15, uh, with the church at Pergamum, or one, uh, one translation is Pergamos. Um, and it's just layers of people between the normal people and God. 
Nico above laity people. So it's 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 a, a, a category of of priest um, or priest like functions uh, that stand between um, somebody's ability to go to God. The Bible says there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So when he's talking about hating the, the Nicolaitans or the practice of Nicolaitans, he doesn't hate people. We know that. But he's referring to those who follow the Nico above um, um, uh, laity um, principle in their, in, their, in their doctrine. So that's what the Nicolaitans really are. And as I said, we still have... Uh, Nicolaitans today, you know, in in, in some of our uh, false churches, the prosperity churches, um, the the tone is set regularly where, um, you know, there's a pastor, don't touch God's anointed, and somehow he has a closer connection to God than than regular people, uh, and that's not true. It's simply not true. When people come to me and say, will you pray for me? I'll say, of course I will, but you know, you can pray for yourself. And people that come out of certain religious traditions, they just don't really understand that. So uh, that's what it really is. So thank you for that. Manny says, uh, I have times in prayer where God feels so close and other times where I don't feel his presence at all. What am I doing wrong in those times? Manny, this is a really complicated answer and and, uh, I'm going to be careful with my words, but um, I think that's the way prayer is supposed to be. There are times when we pray and it's like Jesus is right there with his arms wrapped around you. I get that. There's times when we get goosebumps and it becomes really, really emotional. It's interesting in our study tonight, we're going to see uh, King Solomon. Um, and and, and he's, he's unlike his father, David. David was emotional. David was artsy and creative. Um, um, and, uh, Solomon, with all the wisdom he had, uh, he doesn't seem, he seems rather detached. And yet this prayer, the longest prayer in the Bible, is a prayer that is, while unemotional, it's very factual, it's very straightforward, but it's also one of the great models for prayer in all of the scripture. So I just think, Manny, that there are times when we need to pray and walk by faith. And if you always felt God's closeness, then you wouldn't, ever have to pray in faith. You could pray according to your feeling or to your circumstances. But I think this is something God does, and this is the complicated part. When I was a first, uh, a new believer, uh, it's been a long time now, but when I was a new believer, every day was like 4th of July spiritually. I mean, I was hearing his voice. Uh, a lot of times it was the enemy, but but I thought I was hearing his voice. Uh, I always had tears. I always laughed. I always had joy. I always had goosebumps. It was because God was teaching me that he's always there. But as we grow up, we have to learn to walk by faith rather than by sight or by experience or by emotions. And, And many what you're describing is just maturity in the Lord. And in those times where you don't feel his presence at all, the faith takes over and says, I know you're here, Lord. You know, one of the things I do, Manny, I, I, I look out to the eastern sky in the mornings and I say, uh, Father, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Um, 
not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I, I go on and pray. But 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 there's times um, when it's really cloudy or really dark. And I can say, Lord, I know you're there. I don't have to see the sun to know you're there. I know you're there. And that pleases the Lord because that's faith. You know, when I go out on a day where it's perfectly sunny and the sun is blinding you, and I look to that eastern sky, I, I don't have to say, Jesus, you're so good. But we have to know he's good when we can't see him or when we can't, in your case, feel his presence. And you've got to know he's there. And the basis of knowing that, you, that you're in his presence is his promise to you. Manny, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, yea, even unto the end of the age, he says. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. So that's just maturity. You're not doing anything wrong at all. I think the only wrong idea here is that you have to experience God or, or, or have some emotional experience uh, in order to, to, to believe that God was here and listening to your prayers. So I hope that helps, Manny, but I think what you're going through is, is normal and it just demonstrates that you're growing and God wants to help you grow up a little bit in the Lord. Thank you for the question, Manny. Randy says, how much emphasis should be placed on the end times in churches? Um, Randy, um, I, I think a lot, but but I don't think we should go overboard. I, I know there are ministries that um, are all eschatology all the time. Um, And I don't think that's healthy. I think one of the real benefits of teaching through the Bible, uh, the way the Lord has asked me to do it, is that you get the balance of of teaching. So um, I think when you're, if you're going to a church, it's doing uh, all these prophecy updates and, and, um, um, you know, sort of twisting scripture and getting sensational um, you know, looking at the newspaper with one hand and the Bible with the other hand, I think that's really out of balance and I don't think that's healthy at all, Randy. Uh, having said that, uh, I think just like the first century church, we should get up every morning, look to that eastern sky and say, Jesus, this could be the day you come right from there. This could be the day and I want to live my life committed and submitted to you bringing you honor and glory. Now, that's the emphasis we should have. Occupy our women's retreat. Paula will talk about it tomorrow, I'm sure. Our women's retreat, their their theme is Occupy. Now, they're not going to talk about the end times. This is going to be uh, all about prophecy. Um, but it's going to be about, okay, how do we occupy until he comes? And we occupy by sharing the gospel. We, we uh, scatter seed. We occupy by ministering to and loving people, even the unlovable. We occupy by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. We live our lives with that kind of fruit continually coming. That's how we occupy. We occupy praising the Lord. We occupy by, by having our hearts filled with joy, even in tough times. We occupy by being grateful to God. In everything, give thanks. Paul didn't say for everything, give thanks, but he said in everything, give thanks. So, Randy, I think being with Jesus 
and then I mention pretty much every Bible study that Jesus is coming soon. We need to be ready. We need to look. But that's in the context of the study itself, and it's in the context of occupying until he comes. Prophecy updates, that kind of stuff, I really think that's really overblown. It's so maybe 70s and 80s, but um, I think we can have a healthy balance of looking for Jesus, understanding that him coming today is the very best thing that can happen to anybody in the world. At the same time saying, but Jesus, for every moment I'm here, I'm going to take the Apostle Paul's advice, uh, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, because the time is short. This will be my last question of the day. Kenny says, My church does not have a young adults ministry, and I feel like they should. We need help transitioning from childhood into adulthood. Kenny, I am really going to disagree with you here. It's time to grow up. Um, you know, it's funny to me. Uh, you know, you, you have high school ministry, and we do. Uh, but, but but high schoolers, they want to be treated like adults. They want to be trusted. They want, to, they want freedom. They want all those things. And then I don't know what happens when they get out of high school. Instead of transitioning into adult ministry, they, they want to hang around kids their age again. College and career ministry, young adults ministry. Um, what they need to do is grow up. It's time to, time to be a man, time to be a woman. And, and to be surrounded only by people your age group um, is, I think, unhealthy. Unhealthy for you. It's unhealthy for the body. And uh, I also, or we also here at Calvary Chapel, do not have a young adults ministry. Uh, we let people know that the minute they're out of youth ministry, they are adults. And God, they're accountable to behave like adults. And in that process... Um, we get them into service, and they they grow up, and that's that's what maturity is for. Now it's a little easier for us, Kenny, because we teach the Bible to our kids all the way from from toddlers to uh, to high schoolers, um, and, and as we're teaching the Bible, um, uh, they're growing. And so they're ready to transition by the time they get here. But, but from your perspective, it's time for you to, to step up. Jesus, I want to minister. And let me make one other suggestion, Kenny. Uh, wherever your church is, you find somebody in your church who's been walking with the Lord for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and you can see the fruit coming from their lives, and you make a friend out of those people and pick their brains pick their brains. They have so much to offer. And unfortunately, in our church culture, um, our senior citizens are, are, are simply not utilized to the extent that they should. So um, you don't need help transitioning. You just need to transition. And believe me, the Holy Spirit is in you. And um, you may think, well, these aren't my people. Make them your people love the people. The church isn't all young. The church isn't all old. That's why we need to go out and get involved with people that aren't like us. Thanks for tuning in today. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Ron Arbaugh. I have the privilege of being the pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be back on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.